Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the What in the Sam Hill podcast, where I investigate paranormal phenomena, high strangeness, cryptozoology, ancient mythology, and the delightfully odd. I am your host and resident nerd, Erin. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage you to check out the Substack. There we have show notes for each episode that contain relevant links to papers and articles used in research for the episode, as well as links to my more metaphysical woo-woo newsletter, The Moonbeam Mirror. I also want to encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share the podcast with your friends. Let's build a community of weirdos together. Before we get into it, I want to address an issue from the corrections department. Last episode, I said the JFK assassination was 80 years ago. Um, Yeah, that's quite a brain fart. It's obviously 60 years ago because 120 minus 60 is 60. Um, I promise I'm not a time traveler. That's just what I get for trying to math on a Friday afternoon. Today, I am drinking a Terrapin Hopsecutioner IPA. It is not my favorite beer. Um, I actually... I'm not an IPA drinker. I think IPAs are basically something you love or hate, and I kind of hate. Um, but it's what's in the fridge. So thanks, husband, for for your beer, basically. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to go to the grocery store since we were in Florida last weekend, um, taking advantage of, of a work trip for my other job, my regular job, my muggle job. Um, but, we, you know, Might as well enjoy the time now that the weather's getting warm. It was a lovely time, but I have no groceries and no good beer or whiskey. I need to fix all of these problems. So let's dive into today's episode. We got back to the viewing area just as the sun was going down. We looked over to the southwest and sure enough, we saw the lights from Highway 67 again. So we concentrated on looking straight south and east of the viewing area platform. Suddenly, Haley spotted the first little dim light. It looked like a twinkling star, very low to the ground and a long distance away. Then the light got brighter and brighter and began to move to the right and then to the left. It changed from a bluish twinkle to more of a yellowish color, sort of like a headlight from an old Model T Ford. Right before our eyes, it split off into two and then to three. Haley once again said, Dad, over to the left. There are four or five in a row, and now they're changing color. They're flashing and spinning. They were clearly visible, and it was evident that they were not too far away. There were possibly a dozen people at the viewing area by then. A family from Fort Stockton, Texas, came up with a pair of binoculars and asked if we wanted to borrow them. It was an amazing sight, to say the least. I could see the lights so clearly, yet nothing or no one was around them. They looked like a huge display of Christmas lights, but suddenly they began to move to the left, then to the right, and then up into the air. The first one we saw looked as if they were getting closer. It looked to me as though you could see the desert floor lit around the area where they were. Other lights appeared to the southwest, and this time they were clearly not from Highway 67. And more lights appeared in the southeast, but this time much higher than the others. These lights also changed colors and split into two or three. And then suddenly back to one. 
as it would very abruptly move to the right and then down like a meteor and then randomly stop and stay in one spot before completely moving again in the other direction. That was an excerpt from The Lights of Marfa, One of the World's Great Guitar Players, Amazing Encounters with God by Doyle Dykes. My interest in the Marfa Mystery Lights is part of a larger interest in the UFO UAP phenomenon, but as a whole, that's really quite impossible to tackle. Similar dancing lights occur all over the world, but today I want to focus specifically on Marfa. If we can take the idea of UFOs as bite-sized chunks, area by area, specific sighting by specific sighting, then we can make some headway on figuring heads from tails. Marfa is a small town of less than 2,000 people in West Texas, roughly 200 miles southeast of El Paso and 60 miles north of the Mexican border. The town was founded in the 1880s as a water stop, a railroad station where steam engines could refill their water stores. The town grew to almost 4,000 in the 1920s, but shrank again like almost all the old train boom towns when the train stopped running. These days, Marfa is known as a hipster art mecca of sorts. You may have seen pictures of the Prada Marfa art installation outside of town that looks like an honest-to-goodness Prada store in the middle of the desert. But Marfa's most infamous quality is its mysterious lights. The sightings began almost as soon as the town was founded, so presumably the phenomenon could and probably does predate the town. Those sightings have continued on and off over the years, but still occur today. They're called the Marfa Lights, or the Marfa Mystery Lights, or the Marfa Ghost Lights. But similar to Prada Marfa, they're not in the town proper. Generally speaking, the viewing area is east of town between Marfa and Paisano Pass. The lights themselves appear over the hills south of town in the area now bisected by Highway 67. Many have tried to explain away the lights as car headlights or campfires being reflected by the atmospheric conditions, and I'm sure that can explain a lot. Similar to our investigation into Champ, the Lake Champlain monster, I doubt there is a blanket explanation that accounts for all of the sightings. As the lights have become more famous over the years, people are looking specifically for them. That's naturally going to lead to overeager misidentifications. But there are a few key characteristics of the Marfa phenomenon that makes me think there's something more happening than just other humans creating weird lights. First, sightings began in the 1880s. That predates motorized vehicles, air travel, and even rural electrification by decades. In modern UFO circles, the question is often posed, their technology or ours? because it is accepted that the military has advanced secret technology that could be misidentified as alien. In the 1880s, though, I find it highly implausible that anyone had any kind of secret technology that could explain away the sightings. And even if they did, I doubt that it would be in rural West Texas. We're less than two decades post-War of Secession when Robert Reed Ellison spotted the lights from Paisano Pass in 1883. The war and subsequent reconstruction were hard on all of the southern states, and Texas was no exception. Texas was poor and was known as a haven for outlaws at the time. 
I remember 20 years ago when I visited Alaska with my grandparents and my parents as well, obviously, that my grandfather, who had already been to Alaska from Georgia, mind you, some 30 odd times and was very familiar with the culture, gave me strict instructions. He said, never ask anyone in Alaska where they're from because some people move to Alaska running from something. And while I'm sure most people in the great state of Alaska are wonderful, it's a similar vibe to Texas at the time because of its rural nature. And that really applies to the Wild West of the late 19th century in general. That level of wilderness is good if you're a human trying to lay low. It's not great if you're Captain Nemo building the Nautilus and the parts you need take two months to get there from New York. It's just not practical. So clearly, it's either a very low-tech explanation, such as a campfire, an alien-tech explanation, or some sort of natural or atmospheric phenomenon. Second, the Marfa lights not only dance, but also change color. The dancing I could see being possible with campfires. Fire is a living entity that can move and change shape, particularly with a breeze, and atmospheric reflection would only magnify that. It's similar to how on a crazy hot day, the characteristics of the air over the asphalt make it look like there's water rippling over the surface of the road. Changing colors, though? I guess that could happen if you were throwing specific elements in the fire that burn different colors. But again, 1883 in West Texas, that doesn't seem plausible. Refraction can change the wavelength of light, but only within the new medium. Since fire would be in the air and then would also be visible to your eye in the air, no matter the medium between, it would correct back out. You could get a medium that filtered out certain wavelengths. For example, icebergs generally appear more blue-green because they filter out red light, but that still wouldn't account for any changing in color. Third, the lights haven't just been reported by people on the ground. In World War II, Marfa was home to the Marfa Army Airfield, and pilots who were there training reported seeing and also chasing the lights. The atmospheric effects that reflected and distorted campfire light back to the people on the ground just wouldn't operate the same for pilots. The final nail in the campfire theory for me is that when Robert Reed Ellison told others of his experience in Paisano Pass, they had also seen the lights. They'd gone out to investigate, and they'd found no evidence of campfires or human habitation of any kind. In my mind, that leaves two options. One would be a natural but unusual atmospheric phenomenon. Second would be an alien or supernatural explanation. As I've said before in other episodes, supernatural explanations really can't be proven or disproven, only speculated. They're an investigative dead end. There is also no reason a supernatural cause couldn't use a natural phenomenon means to get the desired effect. So I don't see the two as mutually exclusive. So let's see if we can find a natural explanation and rest on the supernatural only in the absence of a natural explanation. I want to look at a few different natural phenomena that have been suggested as causes for the Marfa lights, specifically swamp gas, piezoelectricity, St. Elmo's fire, and ball lightning. 
Swamp gas is considered a bit of a joke in the conspiracy community because it gets blamed for everything. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater though, so let's walk through this. Swamp gas in general is the gaseous byproduct of detrital decomposition within swamps, marshes, and bogs. The bulk of the gas would be methane with smaller percentages of hydrogen sulfide, carbon dioxide, and or other compounds. Swamp gas has been credited for the -the will-o'-the-wisp legend in swamps and bogs where there are sightings of almost an illuminated ectoplasm-looking thing, which skeptics believe to be swamp gas igniting in a wispy flame. Swamp gas, or more specifically methane gas, has even been posited as an explanation for the Bermuda Triangle phenomenon. But could it be responsible for at least some of the Marfa sightings? Well, the deserts of West Texas certainly would not qualify as swampland, but swamps aren't the only source of methane gas. Petroleum and natural gas extraction, landfills, and manure farms are all sources of methane that I would expect to see in Texas. Except we don't see that here. The Marfa landfill is on the north side of town, and the area south of town doesn't have oil extraction or manure farming. Actually, Marfa lies south of the Permian Basin and the associated mid-continent oil field, so there isn't oil extraction in the area in general. The area south of Marfa, centered on the ghost town Shafter, is silver mining country, and silver mining is not a big methane producer. So I don't think swamp gas can explain the Marfa lights. Piezoelectricity, translated as pressing electricity, is an electric charge that builds up in crystals and certain other materials such as ceramics in response to mechanical stress such as pressing. Piezoelectricity was discovered in the 1880s, busy decade, and has been used quite successfully across many industries and in some everyday items. For example, if you've ever owned a quartz watch that runs on piezoelectricity. So the first thing to look for with piezoelectricity is a rock such as quartz. And actually, West Texas does have a substantial amount of quartz. That's not surprising since I was always told growing up that quartz on the ground means gold in the ground. The next thing I want to look for is a pressure mechanism or some sort of mechanical strain. Well, that area of Texas does historically get around 15 earthquakes per year, and earthquakes can certainly generate piezoelectric charge both before the earthquake itself and then if there are any aftershocks afterwards. So we definitely have the potential for piezoelectricity in the area, and I think that probably can account for some of the sightings. But I think those witnesses might have mentioned an earthquake happening at the same time or shortly after the lights, if that were the case. I also don't see how piezoelectricity could create anything that an airplane could chase. Another possible explanation bites the dust. St. Elmo's Fire, not the Brat Pack movie or any of the songs, is an electrical weather phenomenon where there's a persistent blue glow at the tips of pointy objects. It's a plasma caused by a corona discharge off of a rod-like object, and it's generally seen during thunderstorms. So that would be off something like a ship's mast, an airplane wing, a church spire, or something of that nature. I think we can nix this proposed explanation right off the bat. 
First of all, there's no pointy objects in the rural Texas desert, especially in the 1880s before radio towers are invented. Second, it doesn't account for the dancing or the color changing of the lights. And third, none of the sightings mention a thunderstorm. So that doesn't seem like it fits either. Moving on to ball lightning. Ball lightning is another catch-all explanation in the conspiracy community, but again, I do want to do it justice. Another electrical weather phenomenon associated with thunderstorms, ball lightning is a form of lightning that takes the shape of a floating sphere and can range in color. In my muggle job of electrical engineering, we describe the shade of white light with something called color temperature that we measure in kelvins. I won't get too into the weeds here, but white light can range from the warm yellowish white of an incandescent or high pressure sodium bulb, which would be around 2700 Kelvin, to a neutral white that genuinely appears white at around 3500 Kelvin, to the cool bluish white of those extremely obnoxious LED headlights that blind you temporarily and you just have to pray the deer doesn't jump out in front of you while the douche canoe and daddy's money scars your retinas. Anyway, those are around 5000 Kelvin. Ball lightning can vary even more broadly than that from a really, really red color to a more blue color. It can also vary in size from that of a golf ball to that of a small car. It typically is associated with a foul odor and a hissing sound, but given the distance of the sightings, it's not surprising that the witnesses wouldn't have reported these aspects. The hard thing about ball lightning is that we really don't know what causes it. In some ways, it is every bit as mysterious as the Marfa lights. And unfortunately, since we don't know the specific cause of ball lightning, it makes it hard to rule out. Additionally, because ball lightning can be the size of a small car, it could be seen from miles further than a storm would be noticed, so a storm not being reported doesn't specifically exclude the possibility of ball lightning. Just imagine how far you could see a glowing fiat in the blackness of the rural Texas desert. We should note, though, that witnesses are not reporting other types of lightning at the same time, so it would have to be a storm with only ball lightning. Still, if we don't know the cause, we can't say that a storm with only ball lightning is impossible. The only thing that I think really does exclude ball lightning from most of these sightings is that it typically lasts only a few seconds not the few minutes described by witnesses. So I do think that's another dead end, at least for the purposes of explaining the Marfa lights as a whole. Speaking of the blackness of the rural Texas desert, what about a meteor or asteroid like we discussed for the miracle of the sun at Fatima? Well, that doesn't explain why the lights are dancing at ground-ish level, so that's out. The other thing I thought of when reading accounts was maybe some sort of weird event like a mini Carrington event where the Aurora Borealis was visible, but that's not really a viable explanation either. It doesn't match the ball-like form. It wouldn't be visible so often in Texas, at least not without major news coverage in more populated areas than Marfa, and it also wouldn't be at groundish level. The last possible natural explanation that I thought of, but I didn't see anyone discussing, was dust, specifically combustible dust associated with silver mining. A lot has changed in the Marfa area since the 1880s. 
Um, but the two things that have remained relatively consistent are the mystery lights and silver lining, which began in the early 1880s around the same time as the founding of Marfa. If there really is a natural explanation for all of the sightings, I wouldn't be surprised if it was linked to the mining. I was able to confirm that there is zinc in those mines and zinc dust is combustible. Perhaps there are zinc and other combustible dusts that are being exposed by the mining, which then catch on fire, creating the mystery light shows, like embers dancing off a campfire. The various combustible dusts could explain the color variation, and dust is already well known in the paranormal community for being misidentified as orbs because of the dancing movement. I admit, though, that it's still not a great explanation. Even in the vastness of the West Texas desert, I can't see flaming dust being visible from so far away. I definitely don't think an airplane pilot would be able to see dust particles at their speed either. And I know I said I would focus on Marfa, but I doubt that all of the other locations known for mystery lights are next to mining operations. All in all, I don't have a good explanation for the Marfa mystery lights. I think we discussed several explanations that could account for some of the witness statements, especially those that were probably overeager misidentifications to begin with, but I don't have any idea what the pilots saw. I don't have any explanation for the why the lights dance and change colors for several minutes, unless scientists are just wrong about ball lightning. Maybe it is aliens or angels or something supernatural. Maybe it is a natural phenomenon that science can't explain yet. I will say that it seems to me that the only substantive difference between the Marfa lights and the ball lightning phenomenon is that one is studied by science in academia and one isn't. And why aren't the Marfa lights studied by scientists who will give it an honest shake and not just dismiss it all as car headlights? Why is it relegated to tinfoil hatters, religious figures, and renegade researchers? Is there no grant money in a possible unidentified atmospheric phenomenon? Why not? Whose purse strings are tightening up around these lights? What don't they want us to know? That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. If you have any experiences or thoughts you want to share, please leave a comment on the Substack post. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter and continue the conversation. What do you think the Marfa lights really are? Until next time, in the immortal words of Euripides, question everything, learn something, answer nothing. Bye-bye.